Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hey, uh, listen, unlike pretty much every other podcast, we do not take summers off. We publish throughout the year. But uh, like other podcasts, we do take some time off during the summer and uh, we air some reruns and this is the last one before we get back into the swing of things with our fall season. It's a good one. This is an interview from our archives that a lot of people have not heard. You probably have not heard it, but it is an interview with the fantastic Chantal Hibert. Chantal Hibert, of course, is a panelist for the CBC's At Issue panel. She is a longtime political correspondent. Until very recently, she was the Toronto Star's, I would say, best political columnist. She just gave that up. And there was a point in time, the 1995 referendum, when you could credibly argue that her journalism held this country together. You will hear exactly how that played out in this interview. I am a big fan of Chantal Bear, and I need to tell you, this is just one of the incredible interviews that we've done over the years with some of the biggest names in Canadian journalism. If you like this interview, we have put together a playlist of our other big shot journalist interviews, 
Andrew Coyne, Glenn Greenwald, Adam Gopnik of The New Yorker, Shri Paradkar, all of those great conversations have been cut together into one excellent playlist, and it is offered to anybody who becomes a Canada Land supporter. That comes with all of the normal perks we offer to our supporters and a couple of other uh, bonus pack playlists, including one of the big celebrities that I've interviewed over the years and another playlist of the shit shows, uh, interviews that have completely run off the rails. If you want to get access to those playlists right now, go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes to become a supporter. We rely on your support. But for now, and for everyone, here is my 2015 interview with Chantal Bear. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Alan Harnum, Michael Bonnell, Sal Bernard, Lucero Bermio, Blake Kanewisher, Maggie Joe, Corey Addy, and John. Hi, my name is John. I'm a comedian and digital content creator living in Winnipeg, and I support Canada Land because of the authentic and original reporting, along with media analysis and criticism you just don't get anywhere else. I especially enjoyed the series White Saviors, and the most recent Commons feature on hockey was amazing. So what is it exactly you want to talk about? I don't know. This may be a terrible test of your patience. Uh, uh, no, you, no, you can't test my patience. I have time to kill. You may think I'm a busy person, but I am not. I, you, you may be just uh, too annoyed after this. I don't, don't know. really get annoyed. I'm a very ignorant person when it comes to Canadian politics. I, I'm a very ignorant person in general, so <laughs> we should get along just fine. I'm certainly I'm ignorant for somebody who covers the Canadian media, but I may even be ignorant of Canadian politics as a Canadian citizen. You probably know more than you think, it like most be. voters. I take no responsibility for my ignorance. I blame the Canada's political press. Okay. I blame, in part, voters. Yeah. And I say that as someone who spent three long years writing at the end of every story on the Meech Lake Accord. The Meech Lake Accord recognizes Quebec as a distinct society, gives it a veto over Senate reform, says that provinces have to submit names for the Supreme Court for three years. The lament, we don't know what's in the Meech Lake Accord. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's the Meech Lake Accord. You've already lost a lot of people right there. Well, when they came out and said, we have found a way to fix the Constitution and have national reconciliation, a hell of a lot of people paid attention, right? That's I, more interesting. I remember the Devoir's headline that said uh, the headline the next day was Canada says yes to Quebec. Yeah. In my lifetime, I saw those headlines. Maybe if not as many people had ended up caring about the Meech Lake Accord, it would have passed. But it became a perception issue. Yes. And you're right on one point. And we're, all, we're not talking about the Meech Lake Accord here. We're talking about ignorance. The people who made that accord, who were premiers and prime minister and leader of the opposition in the case of the federal ones, decided that because they had a deal, they didn't need to explain it. Right. And they left this vacant field to people who didn't like the deal and who could speak the language. By the time they woke up and discovered that since they decided they shouldn't make their case to people, others had made the case for them, and it was now a lost cause, it was too late. 
If only there was some institution in society whose job it was to engage people and inform them about what's going uh, on. Do you want to see the pile of stuff that people uh, who cover uh, politics wrote, talk to normal people, covered Pierre Trudeau, wrote lengthy explanation about every single section of that accord, tried in other ways to show that for Quebecers, yeah, Quebecers are different. Distinct does not mean superior, but you can't deny that they're different. It's very hard for Quebecers to understand why other Canadians would not know that they're distinct <laughs> and different. There are only so many ways you can say something until you come to the conclusion that in the end, the Canadian elite said yes to Quebec, but the Canadian people in the end said no. The Meech Lake Accord wasn't a constitutional story. It was a story about how we talk past each other. Yes. And yes, the media has a responsibility for those failures, uh, because for a long time, the story that's more exciting takes over from the story that's more constructive. But are they not the same story? Like, if not for the journalism you did during the referendum, it sounds to me like there's a good chance the margin was so small, you tell Quebecers that they are actually lobsters about to be boiled— and you could turn a bunch of people off of that referendum. You may have actually played a, a crucial role in keeping this country together. That's interesting. Others would argue that I probably played a crucial role in shoring up sovereignty numbers with my coverage of the constitutional debate. Uh-huh. So uh, at the end of the day, I don't think it works really well for journalists to feel so invested with social responsibility that they self-censor themselves in case they may have contributed to one outcome versus another. Uh, because at that point, you're no longer doing whatever it is you do. That lobster story yeah. was the only real brown envelope. They don't exist anymore, I know, but I, I managed to get one real brown envelope in all of my life. Yeah. It landed in the mailbox of La Presse in July when I was alone. I opened it. It was a memo from one civil servant to another at Foreign Affairs, and it said Jacques Pegasot had told the EU ambassadors when he was asked, what if Quebecers vote yes in three months? And then they changed their minds. They decided they don't like it. And he went, ho, 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 it's going to be too late. They're going to be like lobsters in a lobster pot. One of these ambassadors wants a favor from Canada to get a seat on some council somewhere. I'm offering you this tidbit in exchange for you liking me, the civil servant types it. And I kind of looked at it and thought, do I really have to go through this? <laughs> like, I could see what was going to happen if I didn't take that envelope and put it in the trash can. I've had that feeling where you just feel like <laughs> no one knows that I saw this. Do I really want... Yeah. What's going to be happening for the next... And in the end, I mean, in hindsight, it was it, it, it's always more fun than when you're in it and you're the person who wakes up with the paper on the doorstep and you see your byline and this, the Québécois vont comme des homards, and you think, uh-huh, this is going to be fun to cover. I mean, yeah. in the end, we got the story. The, the good thing about the story is instead of going with the story, just, you know, we have a memo from Foreign Affairs. I asked around. I had good connections in those days to the uh, U.S. Embassy. They weren't there, but they had the best connections to anything. And they immediately confirmed that yeah. it had happened. But that wasn't a source. It wasn't on the record. What was great about the story is that in the end, we did have an ambassador on the record 
And the only reason we got that is that Mr. Pezzo's office sent us that ambassador thinking he was going to deny the story. Really? He had denied it. He sent you well, the diplomat Pegasus looking office for eventually to got wind of what was happening. Uh-huh. Jean-François Lisée, who was working then for Jacques Pegasus as a senior advisor, called me up. It was Friday afternoon and explained to me how I would not have a job as of Sunday if I went with the story. We went through the usual, yeah. I'm going to have your job uh, while I'm sorry. And then he says, if I gave you... Uh, people who were there, ambassadors, on the record, denying that Mr. Pezzo said this, would you, what would you do? Well, I said, well, I'd certainly, you know, quote them. Mm-hmm. And then he said, it's Friday afternoon. Would you give us till Monday? So I called my bosses and I made the case to them that uh, this is the premier of Quebec. We should probably give him the benefit of the doubt in the, the three days and do the story Tuesday. On Monday, nothing happens for hours. And finally, someone from the, the Belgium embassy calls. He's the Belgian ambassador. And he starts telling me, he said, Jean-François called, and he asked me to call you. And I have to say that I'm very sorry that Mr. Pegasus' confidence has been betrayed. And I go, uh, excuse me, but you do realize you've just confirmed that Mr. Pezzo did say that. Oh, yes, he did say that, but he said it in confidence. I never figured out what game Belgium was playing. And so I assumed over afterwards when I thought about the story that Belgium, the Belgium ambassador probably liked the no side better than the yes side and so decided to confirm it all this time protesting that it was so sad uh, that Mr. Pegasus was betrayed. But the thing is, what I discovered months later when all this was done, says there were ambassadors who said I didn't hear him say that. Yeah. It's because he said that to three of them as they were having cocktails before his speech. I mean, this is just an incredible story. You know, it's one of those, I don't do this kind of journalism anymore. Yeah. But I did enjoy the chase. Yeah. And what you do once you're done. It's I, I did have a lot of fun doing that. That's, <laughs> that is a part of it that I do miss. And you can't be a columnist and do that because the kind of columns you write in the end, the temptation to shore up your own scoops would be too great. I mean, yeah. you got to report a column as well sometimes, but... Yes, but it's not the same. No. In French, we call it confusion des gens. You can't be party and analyst at the same time. And if you're breaking news, you are party to a dynamics that is different. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. 
We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. You are in this world of, of punditry now and uh, analysis, yes. <laughs> and so you just made the face. This is and this. I is, dislike the word pundit intensely. So that's the, the face you just made. I'm going to show you because this is actually an image that illustrates how I feel when I am watching a lot of punditry. And yes, <laughs> I this, never see that. <laughs> I'm not even looking. I've never seen myself on TV. This is a. Uh, <laughs> An animated GIF of you at, on the ad issue panel <laughs> yeah. responding to one of your fellow pundits. Um, the love thing. I've heard about it. This is an epic eye roll. This is quite. This <laughs> is just uh, such an expression no. of exasperation. I know. Only because I have you as my proxy can I watch this because that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, well, don't show me because I, I try to work on the face thing. Sometimes I can't help it. Oh, it's wonderful. And in that, in that instance... The thing with the at-issue panel that's good, but that also makes these faces happen, is you don't know what the others are going to say. Yeah. Since you don't know, sometimes you're not totally Sometimes you make the accident of being very honest. I'm not very good at the poker face thing, which is why I don't watch myself on TV, because I'd probably not go on TV. I feel like there's an assumption being made that I am going to be very interested in politics as sport. And that I'm very interested, and, and, and like any sport, it gets to statistics and dramatics and interpersonal relationships. And it's not necessarily, I find that it's rare to encounter a discussion about politics as something that actually matters to people, that is consequential. I think a lot of people actually find politics more interesting when you explain to them what is behind the scenes. It's maybe the opposite of watching a movie where you're not terribly interesting in being in the editing room mm-hmm. because it's going to go on forever. The reactions we get from the panel, uh, of course, people in the chattering class like the panel. I mean, they're mostly political junkies. But I don't think that because... Everyone is interested in the power and politics kind of stuff means that the people who are interested shouldn't have that show. Sure. Let there be uh, many flowers bloom. If you're you're a wonk, there should be wonk shows. But I I guess can we not agree that there is a problem in a country with voter turnout uh, as it is in Canada? Can we not agree that there's a problem when along generational lines? We do not have the most enfranchised and engaged and active population. I think part of the reason for that is that we are fortunate enough not to have huge problems. 
It's easier to be engaged when the government is thinking of joining a war in Iraq that George W. Bush is leading, or when you are having a huge national debate over the death penalty or the right to abortion, or even free trade with the United States, than when your biggest issue is whether it's okay to allow people to put 10,000 rather than 5,000 a year in the TSFA. The issues that consume national governments and public opinion were issues that national governments could actually advance, solve, or make worse. Mm -hmm. But today, the issues that people care about a lot, climate change, the trade-offs between privacy, security, international terrorism, uh, even the global economy and what happens to your job when it gets taken away – They are all issues that don't get resolved on the national stage anymore. We will still be having the same debate, which will not be completely resolved by a national government. These days, the prime minister spends more time meeting the president of France than he does meeting the premier of Ontario. That wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. Why does that happen? Because the prime minister actually needs to discuss stuff with the president of France that is more relevant to the issues than he would if he sat with the premier of Ontario. But it's resolution may be a tall order when when we talk about the difference between having a bill like C-51, having a slightly different version of it that the liberals might present or not having it at all. That's a big difference that gets settled on the federal level. Whether or not you have a, a government that is completely in partnership with the oil patch or not is something that gets settled at the federal level. Yes, and the majority of Canadians vote the way they vote, which is against current government, but then they split their votes between two parties. And then many of them don't vote at all. Well, it's it's a right to not vote if you don't feel engaged. When Quebec had a referendum, 94% showed up to vote. Yes, but... Uh, but When (laughs) we discussed free trade, more than 80% turned out. So when you give people a choice, they do show up. But if they don't show up, it's because they don't think that there's enough of a choice to make it all worth their while to go vote. Well, it has to do with what people think, and the magic word again is engagement, and then I say, whose job is that? It's certainly not the job of the media to create engagement where issues and politicians don't. Really? I don't think so. I know. I I don't buy the social mission. Uh, It's my job to report and give as much information as I can in context so that people can make reasoned decisions. But I cannot make the politicians more engaging. I cannot force them to actually talk to people. You can make the issues more engaging. No, I can't. No, I can't. I am not a priest. I don't go on in church on a Sunday to preach this is what should be important to you and this is not. Even if I tried, I would get it wrong. This episode is brought to you by Rotman Executive Programs. Environmental, social, and governance issues, or ESG, now define our economic landscape. Whether it's land back, diversity and inclusion, or climate change, you need to stay ahead. Rotman's ESG designation delivers hands-on learning while preparing you for the designation exam. Over the course of a combination of in-person and online sessions, you will learn how to align business models with responsible practices. You'll learn how to unlock innovation opportunities, mitigate risk, and ensure long-term success. ESG is about the challenges we face today and tomorrow. Earning your designation proves to employers and clients that you know how to build ESG considerations into sound business strategies. 
visit uofte.me slash ESG to learn more. Again, that's uofte.me slash ESG. I think I'm kind of discussing uh, like a, a shift, a possible shift in the climate of the conversation. You know, some time ago I had Susan Delacourt here and, and um, she, she, you know, argued quite passionately that she's never experienced, I hope I'm paraphrasing her correctly, such a docile time in the Ottawa press that in every sense from the level of access that uh, the press has denied and has accepted. I've always find the Ottawa press to be docile. Always. I find press galleries in general, not just in the Ottawa, it's not a criticism of, of my colleagues as much as a finding about press galleries in general tend to see the government in power as the government in power forever. And uh, if we're going to describe docility in the press gallery, can we just wind back the clock to Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin's era when no one had a single conservative Canadian alliance name in his or her Rolodex because the liberals were going to be there forever, were they not? And the day that the conservatives come with Stephen Harper as prime minister, lo and behold, what has happened to all those great liberal contacts? Usually your your colleagues six months before who then switched over to the dark side. And we're going to feed you stories forever because the liberals, were they not going to be there forever? So if we're going to talk about a docile press gallery, can we somehow remember that it wasn't very assertive when the liberals were in power. I don't remember those great challenging stories of, you know, how the liberals are keeping from us. So when Jean Chrétien visits his riding, we were, because they were nicer. In my young age, I got to watch some of those Friday news conferences that Pierre Trudeau used to give. Yeah. Sometimes I walk in a park uh, on the way to buy a baguette in the morning just to make a caricature of my life. And there is a man that feeds pigeons. <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me of those news conferences. I mean, I have not seen any prime minister give regular news conferences that were not to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Where I would agree with Susan somewhere yeah. is that in the face of a government that really will do nothing for you, It would be nice if the press gallery became more aggressive in looking for stories rather than in against that government, because it's more interesting to dig out stories. And if the press gallery dug out more disturbing stories, I'm not meaning scandals here, but more stories that don't make the government happy about having stories, the government would start keeping the press gallery busier. Yeah. And that is the dynamics. When I was a really young Parliament Hill person, I was invited because I was the bureau chief of one to one of those kind of mediated meetings between the civil service, Mm -hmm. the top civil service and the parliamentary press gallery. And I sat there mute because here I'm sitting there. I could be in diapers and they're all very senior people. And one of the more senior journalists at the table who was the bureau chief of a major bureau told this deputy minister across the table, he says, you know, the way uh, to control a journalist who uh, is good at getting scoops out, the the best way to control that journalist is to give him or her three scoops a month. And I listened to that. I was a bit shocked to hear it. And then I thought about it, and it stayed with me. But that is quite true. If you make the government worried about what you may be up to, it's going to go out of its way to keep you busy. 
Sure, but then they have enemies who are going to go out of their way to make you busy in a different direction, and then maybe you've got some autonomy where you're looking for your own stuff, but that's how it should be. Yes. Right? But uh, the press gallery has less resources, uh, yeah. and newspapers seem to be happy with boring political stories rather than, well, than well, that's an issue more right edgy there. ones. Is it an issue as well, as, as Susan suggested, that we become too cozy, and there's too many journalists uh, who uh, want to be senators or who are writing speeches? I found are, no evidence that we are cozy than we were. I'm just saying I haven't noticed that. Uh, and I'm uh, not a big Ottawa person. I work out of Montreal. I visit my right. office not often, so I don't have a social life in Ottawa. It's not because I'm pure. Yeah. That's because that's not the life I have. I have kids and stuff and well, you, a, li- a real life. You've been described as a consummate uh, outsider and that you don't yeah, go well, to the pub to, uh, after work. Well, I don't journalist. drink beer. I yeah. had kids to raise. It's not a virtue. I was raising kids and I was a political <laughs> journalist. What do parents do? As soon as they can, yeah. they go feed the kids who are now adults, and now I'm a grandmother, so I get to babysit instead. But the reason why I'm described as an outsider is nothing to do with the fact that I don't like beer. But there is an inside, and it may be one where where those worlds have overlapped. Yeah, but when I started off uh, covering politics was at Queen's Park, and I was working for Radio-Canada. Bill Davis was in power. The conservatives in Ontario did not have a lot of uh, gains to make by giving or talking to Radio-Canada. Yeah. Francophones in Ontario tend to vote liberal or NDP, uh, and the Conservative Party was considered by the least friendly to the Francophone minority in those years, fairly or not. So I could see that, you know, there was some kind of back and fro between the power circles and some other journalists in the press gallery, and I certainly wasn't in the loop because why would you have me in the loop? But I also noticed that I didn't seem to know less. Mm-hmm. Then the people were getting all this, so I came to this early, possibly misguided conclusion that anything like that was spin and that I wanted to live in a spin-free zone. Yeah. And that was that. So the, I the, never the, tried to have contacts. I never called someone to say, spin me, so I know what you're saying. I have the advantage of working in an office at the Star where others have to do stuff like that. So I have a vague sense of what people are actually saying. After a few years, you kind of know from what you hear what the spin probably was. The closer you get, the further you might find yourself. By the same token, I would say to anyone who wants to cover politics that if you don't like politicians, you shouldn't. Because if you can't understand them, you're not going to be able to cover them and understand Mm -hmm. what it is that makes them do what they do. It works best when people cut to the chase or are forced to cut to the chase. Allowing people to give their lines, it's not journalism, uh, and it doesn't serve information to do it that way. Not just you, but many people dislike the strategist uh, sitting together. The three. It's kind of a nightmare. It makes a caricature of politics. By the same token, elected politicians who agree to go on shows to mount the party line as if they leave their brains at the door, they demean their own jobs. At some point, if someone could show that, it would probably improve politics and its coverage. You know, we spent a long time on that issue, tearing up our shirts with a lot of virtue over how the political discourse had become debased and what was happening in question period was, you know, something you really didn't want to watch because it made you feel bad about politics and actually made you feel bad about what you did for a living having to cover that. 
And then one day someone, and it wasn't me, and I don't know who it was, had this notion that maybe instead we should show some of it. You know what? It's it's had a lot more impact than all those words we wasted. Mm -hmm. Because the politicians who demean themselves by acting like trained seals do not want to be looking at themselves. It's not news, right? They think they get away with it because we're not going to show it because in the end, there's nothing to show. But when you show that side of politics to viewers, they don't like that. They don't like their family to see that. They don't like their kids to say, that's why you're not there all week to do this. Yeah. And so I figure if you ever do a show on politics, you should show that stuff. Yeah. You should, you should put a price on acting like that, giving a news conference to say nothing, refusing to answer questions, much better than asking every day for an answer, showing someone who repeatedly and editing it so that it's, it drives the point. This is what you see. Much better than all those words we're using. Here's what they said on Monday. Here they are saying it again on Tuesday. Yeah. Here's the next guy saying it yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah. They did it again. We don't, we don't again. have enough time and we don't do enough of showing that. Yeah. And it works because a normal human person does not like to see himself or herself doing that stuff. So if I had a, poli a politics show, I would create a section of it just to show stuff like that. Because... So it's not a picture, but it's worth a thousand words of punditry that is wasted. Most right. people can tell when they see something that isn't right. That's your Canada Land. If you like this interview, we have a bonus playlist with a bunch more interviews with a bunch more incredible Big name journalists, and if you become a supporter, you will get access to that immediately, and you can listen to me talking to Andrew Coyne, Glenn Greenwald, and a bunch more. You'll also get premium access to all of our shows ad-free. You'll get early releases. You'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. You'll become a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Why not just do this? Join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. It's been re-edited by Cassidy Villabran-Baracus with additional production from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by so-called... Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. 
It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.